Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. It is great to be here with you and uh, we're going to have a great time. Is that all right? So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it strengthens, encourages, it builds us up. And we pray today, God, that it would do exactly that. That we would leave here closer to you, more different, more like you, Jesus. All we want to be is more like you. And I pray for this church and I pray for this great city, this fine city, that you continue to bless it and make it prosper in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Also, welcome to everyone online. It is great to see you, and uh, we hope you are having a great time at home um, watching this. Uh, We're going to get straight into the message. We're going to read some scripture, if that's okay. And uh, I think some of you stand, but you don't have to stand, but I believe that is becoming a bit more of a custom. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to read. And so I'm not telling you what to do. You you choose you. You do you. But uh, let's stand and... um, if you feel comfortable, <laughs> just thinking John's going to be saying, no, I don't want everyone to stand. Ephesians chapter 2, and if you're at home, please stand. Yeah, you. Yes, you. You can see them now getting up in their lounge, putting down their milkshake. And... Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. We're going to read 10 verses, is that okay? I know it's a lot, but we're going to fulfill your Bible reading for the day says this, as for you, everybody say you. you. Turn to your neighbor, point in their face and say you. you. Say not me, but you. You were dead. <laughs> At home, you were dead. In your transgressions and your sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. For all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. How many of you feel encouraged and strengthened this morning in this fine city? Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're going to do a bit of a Bible study today. Is that okay? You can take your seats because we've read the word. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. We're going to do a bit of a Bible study. We're going to do a bit of an old school Bible study. We're going to go through these 10 verses and hopefully this is going to be applicable to your everyday and help you in your life and hopefully it's going to strengthen you. 
And so that's what we're going to do. I have a title for this message, and sometimes when you create titles, you know, like, how can I, how can I get, like, a creative title? How can I get a title that people are going to remember? How can I bring a title that is going to, you know, like, you know, like, awesome. But I thought the best title for this, because the Bible does say in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says there, verse 9, so that no one can boast. We don't want to be boastful, we want to be humble, Amen. And so I thought I'd come up with a humble title for today's message, and it's going to come on the screen here at the top. And today's message is called, Probably the Greatest Message You Will Ever Hear. Probably the greatest message you will ever hear. Now, I know you've had some incredible preachers and some incredible messages on this platform over the years. John and Chantel knock it out of the park every single week. I think you've had TD Jakes on a video. I think, you, you know, you name it, you've probably had them here. Uh, you know, I know Steve Morstan tries his best, and you have a whole bunch of amazing, amazing people. But you need to know, this is probably the greatest message you will ever hear. I'll explain what I mean by that in a few moments so some of you don't walk out now thinking, who is this idiot? If someone says to you, I've just seen the greatest film, you need to go and see it, and then you go and see it, and it doesn't match your expectations, how many of you are left a little bit disappointed? Someone says, I've been to the greatest restaurant, you need to go to this restaurant, you eat there, and it's not as great as they said, or this is the greatest book, and it's not actually the greatest book, it doesn't match up with your expectations. Well, I guarantee these 10 verses, what I want to try and dig into today, it almost like has a money-back guarantee that it will actually be the greatest message you will ever hear because really what we are talking about is what God has done through Jesus for every single one of us. And actually, no matter what we hear in, in terms of preaching and teaching and titles, it is all centered really in what God has done through us through Christ. And I know you guys are in a series about alignment and it is so good because alignment brings order and sometimes we are led by the body which then leads the soul which then kind of the spirit is kind of tagging on at the end but that is not how God has intended our lives to live. God has intended us to live by the spirit, by the soul and then by the body and bring some alignment and why my heart today is that there'd be some alignment in your theology and in your understanding of, of, of God's plan for my life and your life through the understanding of the spirit and the soul and the body in terms of its understanding of what it has received from Jesus, from God, for your life. And one of the reasons this hit home a few weeks ago was I was on Instagram, and many of you are on Instagram, and I saw a picture of a friend, and I'm like, he looks incredible. <laughs> like, what has happened to him? Because I'd been with him like the week before, and he looked okay. <laughs> but on Instagram, he looked amazing. And what I realized, he'd used a filter, and this filter was called like Life By Me Filter. And you basically take a picture, because I tried it. <laughs> you take a picture, and the picture is that, okay? It's the real life of who you are. And then, whew, you filter this, and it takes away every blemish. <laughs> It's awesome. It takes away every, every crack, every crease. It takes away every kind of mistake on the skin of your face. That would be a perceived mistake. And it, it kind of just makes you glow. And I tried it, and I'm like, what am I doing in Leeds? I should be in Hollywood. 
Like, I should be in Milan. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing being a pastor. I could earn a lot more money being a model if this is what I really look like, only to realize it's not real. <laughs> it's a filter. <laughs> and then you take the filter off and you realize you are who you are. And what the filter did was the filter enabled me to look way better than I really was. And when I read Ephesians chapter 2, when I read these 10 verses, it kind of makes me look a lot better than I actually am. It makes me feel good to feel that God has made me alive with Christ, that I'm now seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I'm like, that's a filter that makes me look a lot better than I actually am. Because I don't know about you, I don't feel like I deserve to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have too many blemishes. I have too many, I have too many frailties. There's too many weaknesses and issues in my life to have such favor. But it is almost like the filter of the grace of God that just covers all of that. The difference with the filter is that you remove the filter, but you cannot remove the grace of God. <laughs> Even if you try and escape it, you know, the grace of God is there for you. If you try and run away from the mercy of God, the mercy of God is still there for you. And what I love about Ephesians chapter 2 is you don't even have to do any work to receive it. It says, not by works, but by grace we have received the love of God. Now you might think, yeah, but I need to do this, this, and this. But the Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. From that decision, it changes the way we live our life. It changes our character and it changes our behavior. And so I'm not saying we keep living in how we keep living because Paul says, once you've received the grace of God, he says, he says, you know, some of you think, well, we might as well just keep sinning. But Paul says, no, you don't just keep sinning because you've received the grace. The grace of God is an empowerment to live better. But it is something that you cannot work towards. The grace of God is a gift and it is not something that you can work towards. He gives it to you. And Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, which is full of Jews, and it is full of Gentiles. They are all human beings, the mixture of the people who have followed the ways of God and those who haven't followed the ways of God. And Paul is grouping them together, and he is saying, all of you have blemishes. All of you have issues. All of you have sin. All of you have brokenness. Don't try and remove yourself from that, you Jew or you Gentile. You need to know all of you, all of us are in the same boat. And it reminds me of this passage, does that Instagram filter, because it feels kind of fake when you read this. And this is why it sometimes feels fake, because I'm there going, but I know who I am in those first three verses. But yet the seven verses that Paul then speaks, it kind of doesn't feel that real, almost like the Instagram filter. But the reason it doesn't feel real is because sometimes when I look at my life, I'm looking at it from how I see my life. I'm looking at it through my lens. I'm looking at it through my experience. I know I'm looking at it through my perceptions. But the thing with God is he looks at you from how he sees you. And he doesn't see you through your lens. He sees you through his lens. And he sees you how he made you. And so I want to help you change your perspective on how you see yourself. Because if only we could see what he sees. If only we could know what he knows, but we know the Bible says my thoughts are not his thoughts, are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. 
And some of his way, thoughts or ways are too, too, too hard to, for us to ever fathom how great they are towards us. But I have one simple aim today, okay? One simple aim. And my aim is this. And this is, if this is a, my, my aim and my win for this message today is that every single one of you leads with a greater value of who you are in Christ because of Christ. That's my simple aim. That every single one of you leads with a greater value of who you are in Christ and because of Christ. Speaking into your identity, speaking into the perception of who you are, maybe speaking into the image of who you perceive yourself to be, maybe speaking into some of the issues of insecurities that you may have, some of your past and some of your present and some of your future. A greater understanding of your identity in Christ and because of Christ. And that is why this is probably the greatest message you will ever hear. What is this? Probably the greatest message you will ever hear. Because much of life is spent reducing you, decreasing you, devaluing you, dehumanizing you, making you look, trying to kind of remove all of the good aspects of life. But what Ephesians chapter 2 does is it raises you. And while the world tries to decrease you, the word of God will always lift you up. The word of God will always increase you. But what I love about Ephesians 2, if I'm honest, because sometimes when you read the word of God, it's so encouraging and it's so good and it's so for us and towards us. And I love that. But if I'm honest, one of the reasons I love Ephesians chapter 2 is because it kind of, it doesn't flatter you for the first three verses. <laughs> it's kind of one of the reasons why I like it. It gives you truth first. And then it tells you how awesome you are. <laughs> but the three first three verses doesn't tell you how awesome you are. The first three verses basically say this. You were bad. <laughs> you were bad. You were bad. I was bad. We were bad. Three verses, you were bad, but the next seven verses are about how God makes you good. <laughs> seven verses three, you were bad, but it is God who makes you good. If I asked you a question, and the question would be this, um, and we could do an open mic if we have time, but it might be a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> what is your worst ever sin? that you feel you've ever committed. Oh, nobody wants to come and share. It's a silly question because I know none of us would ever want to come and share that. And the reason we don't is because sometimes what we do is we grade sin into levels. We all do it kind of subconsciously. Some of you broke the speed limit this morning. Some of you went 33 in a 30. Is that sin? It's breaking the law of the land. <laughs> a few weeks ago when you couldn't sing in church, I know some of you were singing through your masks. <laughs> I'm kind of joking on some of the things that we kind of just consider to be. But then we have sin, sin, which we grade sometimes into levels. Well, I've not stolen an apple before. Well, I've done something much more sinister than that or... You know, and, and we do, we have grade one, 
stealing an apple from Sainsbury's when you're 15. You've kind of moved on from it. You've got over it. But then there might be level five or level six, which causes great harm to people. And I'm not, I'm not um, uh, downplaying sin because sin can have tremendous consequences on people. It can have tremendous consequences on yourself and those who you mistreat. And so we have to be aware that there might not be different levels of sin, but there are different levels when it comes to the consequences of sin. But what we do sometimes do is we put ourselves in certain categories to go, well, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the elite. I'm part of the, good, I'm part of the good crew. I know there's a crew over there. They're like, the, they're like the bad people. And you can even drive through a city and you can even have judgments on people. And you go, well, that's where they live, and that's what they do. And you see people coming, stumbling out of a bar, you know, and they're wobbling and they're falling over and they're doing all sorts of things. And you're, and you're driving and go, well, I would never do that. <laughs> that's not me. <laughs> you know, I'm holier than thou. <laughs> and you kind of remove yourself from that group because they're level two and you're, they're level three and you're level one. But the reality is there is no levels when it comes to sin. There is just one level, and it is called sin. <laughs> and so let's not remove ourselves from what I'd call the sin collective. <laughs> if there is a group of sinners, guess what? We're all in it. <laughs> We're all in the group of the sin collective. And Paul even starts this chapter off by saying, As for you, you were dead in your sins. As for you... And I'm going, as for me, Paul, excuse me, Paul, <laughs> I start to get a little bit fidgety going, like, um, Paul, do you know who you are? <laughs> do you know who you were? I think your name was Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> you are renowned for being the worst of sinners. So don't you start pointing a finger at me, Paul, for saying, as for you, I wasn't there at the stoning of Stephen. I think you were there at the stoning of Stephen. I wasn't a blasphemer. I think you were. You were the persecutor, Paul. You were what 1 Timothy 15 calls a violent man. You're in that league over there. Don't group me with you. When I read Ephesians 2, I can kind of have that perspective. Don't you start grouping me, Paul, with, I'm, I'm a good guy. Don't you hate it when you get wrongly grouped? <laughs> or you just get put into a category and like, you know, sometimes when you do the surveys and you now have to tick <laughs> what, what, what group you are. And you're like, well, there's more to me than simply that tick group. And you get wrongly grouped. Many of the youth of Norwich on the front page of the Norwich paper, youth of Norwich and destroying the city. You're like, I'm not one of those youth. I'm not part of that group. Youth, you know, spreading COVID. You know, I'm not. You get wrongly, un unfairly grouped. And I feel unfairly grouped when I read this. But Paul is saying, as for you, who does he mean? He means you. <laughs> he means me. And I find it a little bit too direct, and I find it a little bit offensive, if I'm honest. But what Paul is saying is, don't excuse yourself. Don't remove yourself. Don't have an attitude of elitism, 
where you think you have a superiority over everybody else. No, you need to know, Jew or Gentile church in Ephesus, church at Seoul in Norwich, that all of us were dead in our transgressions when we followed the ways of the world, when the spirit of the ruler of the world was within us, when we gratified the cravings of our flesh, when we followed its desires, and when we followed its thoughts, all of us were dead in them. And so we were living, but we were dead. How do you do that? How do you do living and dead at the same time? It is because you can walk physically, but your soul can be dead as the sin is the death of the soul, as it follows the ways of the world. And, you know, it's quite clear that there are roots within us That if they are not pure and holy, but if they are the ways of the world, can give birth to fruit. And ultimately fruit can lead, fruit can lead to death. And ultimately the ways of the world is found and rooted in the satisfaction of self. You see it more and more. The ways of the world are rooted in the satisfaction of self. How can I satisfy me? How can I fulfill me? How can I fulfill the cravings of me? It is the satisfaction of self. But the ways of God is rooted in the satisfaction of being selfless. It is how I can die to self. It is how I can deny many of those things that I desire. And that is what Jesus came to model to earth. He was selfless. He was not selfish. And so Paul is saying sin has the ability to kill us from the inside out. It is the death of our soul. And he uses the term you in your sinful nature. He doesn't talk about a one-off sin, stealing an apple from Sainsbury's. He's talking about a nature, an attitude, a characteristic, almost like a way of living that all of us had the sinful nature which thrives in our desires and thrives in our thoughts. Many of us are obsessed with sin as a certain action. And we certain times to think, well, if as long as I don't do that, then I've not sinned. And as long as I don't commit the crime, then I've not sinned. But yet the Bible team kind of refers to it as desires and thoughts which lay within us that we have to take captive, that we have to be in control of. Because if we don't, what happens, it says in James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, James is quite clear. Look what he says here in this book, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil. And this is good to know, nor does God tempt anyone. Okay, so don't start blaming God when you are tempted to do this, this and that. <laughs> but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and are enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown gives birth to death. And so the first three verses of Ephesians 2 is Paul talking about the sin within us which ultimately leads to death because wherever sin prevails, there is an absence of all spiritual life. And it's why this chapter really is titled Alive with Christ because what Paul is saying is there is something amazing that has happened. You see, we were dead. We were so not good. We were so bad that we were 
dead. And Paul is saying the sin is gratifying for a while and it fulfills for a while. And sure, it craves and it appeals. But the riches of Christ far surpass the cravings of sin. The riches of Christ. The love and the mercy of Christ far surpass the cravings of sin. They are poor in comparison. And it was so bad that Paul goes on to say, we were by nature objects of wrath. Objects. <laughs> I love that word that Paul uses, even though I find it quite like hurtful. Objects. How degrading that he doesn't even call us people. He doesn't even call us human beings. He calls us objects. How degrading that we've even lost our humanity. That sin has degraded us to the point where we've lost all sense of humanity. But, in verse 4. But, because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Ephesians 2 verse 4 is probably one of the most fundamental verses in the entire Bible. And if there is one verse I could try and help you remember, go Ephesians 2 verse 4, Ephesians 2 verse 4, Ephesians 2 verse 4, Ephesians 2 verse 4. Because in one word, God changes everything. In one word, God changes the whole direction and the whole course of our life. From one moment heading in the direction of death, but because of Jesus, we now get to head in the direction of his life. In fact, in the Greek, that word but literally means zero. It literally means to like wipe away, to restart, to start something again. And it's interesting because the first three verses is death, 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 sin, sin, sin. And some of you are like, why am I spending my Sunday morning here? <laughs> but zero. Verses 4 to 10, the rest of it talk about the goodness, the kindness, and the mercy, and the love of Christ. Because it is zeroed. The sin has been zeroed. The death has been zeroed. We are alive with Christ. Because of his great love for us. It is when love gets in the way. And I, I, I sometimes find it funny when love gets in the way. Because as a parent, you might have a revelation of this. When your children drive you insane. And John said, I said, John said on the screen, I have 17 kids. It's wrong. I actually have 15. <laughs> no, I don't. I have four. But I have twins. And so obviously it makes it look a lot more. People often say to me, you have your hands full. I'm like, I do. I have my hands full. I have my heart full too. <laughs> but I have my bank account empty. <laughs> but some of you might get a revelation of this as a parent because... Sometimes your kids can drive you nuts and they become objects of wrath. They don't become sons and daughters of love. They become objects of wrath. I don't even know who you are right now. You're just an object. Let's go to your room. You are an object of my anger. And if I'm honest with you, being very honest, I can sometimes get frustrated when they don't listen to me. I can get frustrated when they are disobedient. I can get frustrated when I find them to be rude and obnoxious and then I realize I was exactly the same. But here's the thing as a parent, they can be an object of wrath for a moment. In fact, they could have three verses of being objects of wrath. But because of my great love, 
for them. Dad, who is rich in love and who is rich in mercy, cannot leave them in their room for the rest of their life. <laughs> cannot refuse to feed them for the rest of their life. But embraces them. Talk to them. Loves them. And I find it an amazing picture because I'm like, sometimes I find people quite frustrating. And I find people, I'm sure you do, difficult. And so does God. Because Paul says we were objects of wrath. What is wrath? Anger. Frustration. God kind of going in a much more of an angry kind of God way. But he loves you. He loves you so much that he could not leave us in the place where we were. He could not leave us in the state that we were in. Because love always changes the narrative and Paul is shifting this chapter in one word. Shifts the whole chapter. You could say shifts the entire book of Ephesians with one word. You could say shifts the entire New Testament with one word. Because you have three verses. Things aren't looking good, guys. The world's not looking good. I'm not looking good. You're not looking good. Flicks it with one word, but... And for the next seven verses, things begin to look a lot better. Not because of our works, but because of the goodness of God. And so today, don't live, don't live in what was. Don't live in Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3. You need to live in what is. Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 10. <laughs> so many Christians live in verses 1 to 3. But you need to start living in verses 4 to 10. Don't live in what was, you need to live in what is. You are loved by a God who is so what? Rich in mercy. I love Paul the Apostle. I love what he writes. I mean, I'd love to write a song with him. <laughs> so rich in mercy. He doesn't have to say rich in mercy. He could just say God who is merciful. But he goes, puts the adjective, the descriptive word, rich. Don't you love seeing like, truly rich things or rich people like when you go into a hotel and you're like this isn't the premier inn <laughs> although I do have to say the premier inn no one beats the premier inn beds by the way in online some of you are watching online in a premier inn bed right now but when you go to a truly rich place or when you see truly rich people I'm not talking about you know like wealthy people I'm talking like rich 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 people those who are dripping in rich anybody that here today <laughs> Fantastic. Sam, you're just going to come and do an offering right in this moment. Um, there's the right guy in the middle there. You know when you go to like, I don't know, when you go to London and you go to Harrods and you're like getting off the tube and you're hot and sweaty, but someone chauffeur-driven comes right to the door, front door. Someone chauffeur gets out and then they walk out and they are just head to toe, dripping in richness. Dripping in richness, designer labels, immaculate. You can just sense there is something so rich about them. That is God. Not dripping in gold, 
not dripping in Louis Vuitton, but dripping in the richness of his mercy. That becomes so evident, so visible. And his mercy and his grace was so great. What does it say? That while we were at our worst, not once we'd improved, not once we'd done a course, not once we'd had a few days clean or a few weeks clean. No, while we were at our worst, while you were sinning the worst sin you've ever committed, while you were doing the worst of your worst, while you were in the act, God, immense in his mercy, resuscitated our souls back to life. Because mercy will always meet you at your worst. When you're at your worst, you need to know mercy doesn't run away from you. Mercy runs towards you. And that is why I believe you are a church family that when people are at their worst and when they come to soul church, the mercy of God runs towards them. The mercy of God doesn't run away from them. You don't move seat. You come closer towards them. You don't drift back, but you begin to embrace because that is what the mercy of God has done to you. Your souls need mercy. My soul, it needs mercy. How do I describe mercy? I think a beautiful way to describe mercy is this. It is a blessing of compassion. That's what mercy is. is a blessing, a gift of the compassion of God. You see, what rescued you and what saved you and what gave you CPR and what has breathed life into you is the grace and the mercy of God. It is the unmerited, undeserved, unknown, unfathomable favor, kindness and gift of God. And because you are now filled with mercy and because you are now filled with grace, guess what? <laughs> it changes your position. It changes your position. You go from an object of wrath, the Bible says, to being raised with Christ, but not just raised with Christ. What is it they then say? Seated with Christ, which is good. Guess where? In heavenly places. Woo! This goes from level to level. In one verse, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, I'm an object of wrath. A couple of verses later... My position has changed, and I'm now raised with Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places. Talk about a change of position. Question, where does Christ sit? Where does Christ sit? Some of you biblical scholars in here know. The Bible says Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. The Bible talks about Christ sat, right? God on his throne and to the right hand of the Father is the Son, Jesus. And so Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. So question, if that's where Christ sits, where do you sit? <laughs> right with him. <laughs> you sit right with him. One time, I'm an object of wrath. Alone, here. <laughs> Broken. I'm a sinner, I'm fragile, I'm weak because of who I am and what I've done, the nature of who I am. But God, because he is rich in love and mercy, raises you up, 
picks you up <laughs> and positions you next to Christ, <laughs> who is sat at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> you go from being part of the sin collective to part of the family of God, the collective of God. I'm now sat. I'm now sat with Christ next to the Father in heavenly places. I don't know about you, but that changes my position. That changes how I perceive my life. That changes how I see myself when people accuse me and when people judge me and when people mock me and when people laugh at me and when people bully me and when people down degrade me and when people dehumanize me and when people exclude me. <laughs> I'm not sat there anymore. You need to know, you might think I'm sat there on earth, but you don't know where I'm sat in heaven. You might be judging me on earth, but you'll come a time when you judge me in heaven. <laughs> when you see me sat next to the right hand of the Father, our position whew, has been changed. Grace and mercy moved your seat. And so let's give up thinking that we changed our seat. <laughs> Because we got the test right, because we answered all the questions, because we read the Bible in a year, because <laughs> we tithed every week, because we attended, because we served. All of those things are good biblical practices, good aspects of Christian living that I 100% believe in, but they've not moved your seat. The only thing that has moved your seat is the grace and mercy of God. Now, as a result, as a result of the grace and mercy of God, I now serve and I give my life, not out of place of striving, but out of a place of thankfulness. Because I'm thankful for where I now sit. I don't serve and give over here. Think, well, as long as I serve and give, then maybe, I, maybe I'll get a better seat next to God. Maybe I'll be seen more. Maybe people will include me. Maybe I'll be loved a bit more, so I'll give more tithe, more honor, I'll, I'll do more. Do. No, stop it. None of those works will move your seat. We now sit where we sit because of Him. And you can keep working, working, and working, but it will never be enough. Do you think there is enough work in you to move your seat and put your seat next to God? Do you think there are enough courses to do? No, it's only because of Jesus who loved you enough to pull you close. And I use that word, pull you close. <sighs> he pulled you close. Sometimes when you just get your kids, you just <sighs> pull them close. You get your wife and you pull them close. <laughs> Sam, you'll do that soon. Don't leave it yet. But you'll pull them close because of the love that you have. Finish with this story. And a couple of years ago, me and my wife were invited to a dinner at Leeds United where I help out a little bit there and do similar to what John does with Norwich and it was their centenary dinner 100 years of celebrating Leeds United you name it if you, if you, they were there the legends the legends of the game the, the top goal scorers the previous managers the whole team was there the manager was there you know business owners were there the sponsors were there billionaires were there people spent thousands on tickets to be there for this exclusive you know dinner, Leeds United's centenary dinner, like me and Abs get invited along, we're like, wow, we've got an invite, this is amazing, so we go and 
we turn up and we show our ticket and we get there a couple of minutes late thinking, you know, we don't, kind of didn't really know what kind of big deal it was. And they were like, he's famous, he's, she's, everyone's famous. <laughs> and we're there. And then they show us to our table and we keep walking past 18, 17, table 16, table 15, table 13, table 12. We keep walking. I'm like, I think we should be there. And they bring us to table number one. And we're going, this is embarrassing. And there were two seats left on the table for me and Abs. Sat next to the owners of the club. The people that are hosting the whole event. The boss of the boss of the bosses. And we're sat next to them because they're the people who have invited us to the dinner. And me and Abs were sat there kind of a little bit embarrassed because like, I've not scored enough goals to be sat here. We're definitely not legends of the club. We've not had enough history. We've not been around for 30, 40 years. We've not served like, there's not enough. We haven't done enough to be sat here. I'm kind of, people were looking, going like, who are they? How do, who are they? Who are they? Like, how do they get to sit there? And I don't say that story to boast. I say that story to show you there was not enough works in us to get those seats. The only reason we had those seats was because the master wanted us to sit next to him. The master of the banquet, the owner, wanted us to sit next to him. He wanted us to pull us close. Why? Was there an ulterior motive? Because he liked us? Because he liked us? Because God likes you? Then he pulls you close. There's not an ulterior motive. It's because he likes you and because he loves you that he pulls you close. And when the master chooses you, everything in between gets moved. And it's kind of embarrassing. And I think that's why it says there, for none of us should boast. Because I'm there going, I don't deserve to sit here. I don't deserve, Christ God, what you've given me. None of us can boast. So now what? What do we do? Verse 16. We've been created to do good works. Now you've received it, do some good stuff. Grace isn't an excuse to be lazy. Grace isn't an empowerment to do good stuff. When you've been blessed, when you've been helped, when you've been gifted, go and bless others. Go and help others. Go and gift others. Go and love others. Because it says through faith we've received this. And until you believe it, you can't receive it. I can't receive your love for me if I don't actually believe you love me. And maybe we don't have a receiving issue. Maybe we have a believing issue. Do you believe that God loves you enough to pull you close, to sit you with him? Can I nudge you today? Can I push you today? Can I help you believe to have enough faith that God would love you enough Yes, you at home, that God would love you enough and choose you and be kind to you and God would grace you enough. Why? Because at the root of it is God's great love for us. God who is rich in mercy, shifted our seat and made us alive with Christ. That is why this is probably the greatest message you will ever hear. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Come on, let's stand up to our feet today. Just put your palms out to receive from God. We've got a couple of moments in here. What time's the next service? 12.30. Holy Spirit, move quick. Just put your palms out. I believe some of you right now are going to have a divine exchange. Holy Spirit. Some of you have been walking with God a very long time. You've become a little bit stuck. You've become a little bit dry. You've become a little bit systematic, a little bit rigid. Today, be loosed and receive the richness and the mercy and the love of God and allow it to make you alive with Christ again. Some of you have put yourself in the room of the elite. We are the godly people. And yes, you are godly, but we are all deserving of wrath. But yet God includes the homeless man. He includes the thief. He includes the persecutor. This is crazy. This is going to mess with your mind. He includes the Taliban, who he loves enough. And God has enough richness in his mercy. And he has enough grace for the Taliban or for any person in the world causing despair to humanity. God loves them like he loves you. And if he loves them like that, he can love you. And so receive today the richness of his love. As he steps out of his car outside of Howard's, (laughs) dripping in the richness of his love, may you be there to embrace him. May some of you just close your eyes and see yourself changing seat. You're moving from economy to first class. And you don't have enough money to pay for it. But Christ wanted you there, so he paid for it. And there's an empty seat with your name on it. And begin to walk and sit in that seat. In Jesus' name I pray. And maybe you're in the room today and you've not yet received Jesus as the Lord of your life. Maybe you've not opened your heart up to his richness of his love and his mercy. But today is your day. And maybe you have responded before but you feel so far away from him whatever wherever you are maybe you're at home or in the room today if that is you just respond in the room by just putting up your hand up you can put it straight back down again but that's saying acknowledging going there that's me amazing somebody here somebody there at the back anybody else just raise your hand i want to pray for you today maybe you're online in the chat just put something in the chat and just do an emoji in the chat a thumbs up in the chat an arm up in the chat and we'll help you as well if there's anyone else in the room just raise your hand up amazing we're going to say this prayer together as a soul church family would you repeat this after me dear Jesus today I choose you I receive you I open up my heart to you may you forgive me may you help me may you change me from this day forward in Jesus name amen come on let's give a round of applause today to every person here. 
hope our Sunday morning Bible study has strengthened you, helped you. Ephesians 2 verse 4, Ephesians 2 verse 4, Ephesians 2 verse 4. God bless you guys. Love you so much. Until next time. Thank you. See you soon. Oh, come on. Let's give it up for Pastor Dave. Incredible word. Pastor Dave, you did in fact preach the greatest message, probably the greatest message I've ever heard. And uh, I thought that was a great image that Dave shared about being pulled closer. I know many of you guys just then you responded in that moment and uh, we don't want that to be a moment um, of insignificance but we want that to be a moment of significance for your life and one of the ways we do it here at Soul Church is we'd love you to come and grab a Bible off us and at the end of the service there's going to be some people that'll be outside in the foyer and they should be holding them above their heads or just hold them next to them and if you see that decision please please go and chat to someone just say hey I made a commitment today maybe you didn't put your hand up but you know it's like shifted in your heart you literally felt yourself move, moving from a seat to another seat and you'll know and can have a chat and they'd love to just pray with you talk with you any questions you've got and the other thing we're doing is we've got Alpha and it starts on the 15th of September and Alpha is an incredible course and it's run all over the country all different churches do it and it's really a course to help you discover more about Christianity about faith what it means um what does the Bible teach? Some of those questions you might have, and it's great fun. You'll uh, be put into a, a table uh, with a group leader, and it runs for a few weeks. Half is online, half is in the room. There's food, and I recommend it to anyone, to be honest. Even if you've been a Christian for years, you've been coming to church for years, but you've never done Alpha, make sure you do Alpha, get signed up, and uh, it's a really, really great thing to do. But can we give Dave another round of applause for that, Dave? Thanks for being out from your parish with us. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.